All right. I'm on the heat. I don't have all day. Alright. Yesterday we talked a little bit about maybe what's missing with intelligence uh, research. An overarching framework. And I thought I don't know. I thought I had some more to say about that. And I'm sure I do, but I'll I'd like to think about something else first. I'm a human, so that means I have a very specific brain structure, a very specific memory structure, I'd rather say. I have a very specific structure in general. It doesn't have to be, don't have to define it as brain structure or memory. I mean, it is memory. Everything's memory. But anyway, that means, um, I think, a certain way. And it's not generalized. We like to think that we're these paragons of generalized intelligence, but we're not. We're really not. We uh, are very specifically situated, you know, because we evolved in a certain environment, and so we're evolved for that environment. And we're specific. But we're a lot closer to general intelligence than anything else that we've made or seen. So we, we hold ourselves up as example. But as a specific intelligence, I run in certain loops. I have found, observing my own history of thought, that I tend to think the same things over and over and over. Which means, since I'm recording thoughts, I'm going to record same ideas, uh, topics, um, over and over and over, which is fine with me. I'm going to loop, though, and maybe it won't be word for word, but it's going to be close. I'm going to return to, well, I, I can at least say this, I'm always going to be returning to the same topics 
over and over and over again. And sometimes I'll have new, new thoughts and new ideas uh, related to an old topic that I'm used to. And sometimes I'll have uh, a new topic. I'm like, wow, I just learned this. This is new. But of course I'm going to have to relate it back to what I already know because that's my point of view. Anyway, I'm going to sound like a broken record. So everything that I'm about to say, ever, is something that you'll hear if you're listening to this long enough. You'll hear it again. Because I'm going to think about it again. And then I'm going to voice it again. That's, you know, just how it goes. All right. I don't know why I wanted to make that explicit. Uh, maybe that's not quite as true for podcasts that, um, I mean, I think it is really true for most all content. You know, TV shows just hash the same story over again. Uh, everybody's just running in their own little loop, right? Man, why is this not heating up right Cold, I guess. Um, well, yeah, so, anyway, I guess that's it. Now, returning to the topic at hand, which is consciousness. No, it's con- yeah, it's always consciousness. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the overarching umbrella that <laughs> seems to haunt me. But, uh, which is intelligence, which is the structure of awareness. Uh, let's, let's go through it. Let's go through it. So, I'm not the first one to say that we're missing a framework. <laughs> not at all. Uh, Vernon uh, Newcastle. New, what is his name? Vernon something. I think it's Newcastle wrote an article or a a paper, a scientific paper, claiming that back in the 60s or 70s, which I've never read. Uh, But yeah, I know about it, and it claimed that back, way back then. And so what this Vernon's character suggested uh, is, well, how about we, uh, how about we make the assumption, because we have some data that points to this idea, make the assumption that we have a whole bunch of small units in our head, small, structurally, basically identical, not not identical, but, um, you know, there's very little nuance, structurally identical, um, units of computation and these uh, are the uh, well you'd say well oh you're talking about a neuron well sure but maybe we can organize those neurons into a specific circuit and then repeat that over and over again in the brain and that circuit is uh, if we can find that circuit then we're good to go that 
that is the framework that there is a repeating circuit um, in the brain now what is this claim this claim is I think substantial and true uh, hold on just a minute and the reason I think it's substantial is because uh, it it says something specific. It says that um, this is uh, okay. This is what I'm trying to say. That is a specific claim, as opposed to bring this down. As opposed to um, what I would like to say is the society of minds claim about how the brain works. You know, if you take a brain class in college 101 or whatever, you know, they're going to talk about brain anatomy. And that's, what they're, that's how they're going to start it. And they're going to say, well, this region does this, and this region does this, and this region does this. That's cool, right? And so Vernon is saying, why do those regions do that? What we have is one repeating architecture, you know, with variations, with slight variations. One repeating architecture. But that conforms itself, it modifies itself, it looks a little bit differently, just a little bit differently. It's still in the same overarching framework of the original architecture, you know, the, the, the circuit. But those circuits slightly modify themselves according to the kind of data that they receive. So that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He's saying that region does what it does. It uh, manages audio signals. So it gets really good at understanding uh, the shape of what audio is. What is that? Well, it's very linear. You know, it's, it's got a few other dimensions, pitch and, you know, some other stuff, but it's highly linear in time. It's highly in time, as opposed to the visual scene, which is, uh, you know, it, it, it is moving through time as everything is, but it's highly spatial. It's a 2D view, right? Or you could could say 3D because it's two eyes, but whatever. Um, it's, a two, it's a 2D view. It's spatial. Uh, so, it, you know, that kind of data is very different than audio data from an ear. And so the audio data comes in. It has to attach to the brain somewhere. And so it attaches to the brain. And the part of it that attaches to the brain uh, 
learns to become pretty good. You know, the, that part of the brain learns to become pretty good at some specific types of reasoning because it has modified its circuits to recognize patterns in that data. In that kind of data. Okay. Alright. That's, that's the idea. So, Vernon's, you know, on way ahead, way, way ahead of his time figuring that out. Uh, Okay. What else am I trying to say? Um, I suppose my observation from last night that um, everything in the brain from the micro to the macro seems to look like an autoencoder is to say that each one of those units of computation each one of those they're actually cortical columns they actually kind of are learning what that circuit is and it's held in a cortical column um, or, or I should say a mini column really no no it's a cortical column yeah I don't know I'm just, I don't know the, I don't know I haven't read it the research I don't know what it is. I've just heard these terms in passing so anyway uh, it's one of those well, it's probably both, okay? Because these uh, these smallest units of neurons are arranged in a in a macro unit, in a, uh, a micro unit, and then those micro units are arranged in a macro unit. We'll say cortical column, and those cortical columns are all doing the same thing, and they all look the same, and they all, but they're slightly modified because the things below them are slightly modified because the neurons are slightly modified. Highly modified. They still only do the things that the neurons do, but they connect to very, very disparate locations. Uh, okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. So this pattern goes all the way up. And so uh, recognizing that that cortical unit on every level but especially the smallest level well I should say especially the largest level because it actually as they aggregate it actually uh, probably amplifies a little bit so is a is a compression algorithm or we could think of it as the as a little miniature tiny running in parallel um, autoencoder. That's essentially what it, the, one of the main things it's doing is connecting two, or actually connecting many areas of the brain, but we can think of it as two, uh, and running translation on those two areas of the brain which means it condenses information from one side and sends it over to the other and says, well, 
This is what he basically means. And then it condenses information from the other side and sends it back. And says, well, this is what they basically mean. It's, a, it's an autoencoder. It's a compression algorithm. And this is because the whole brain has to have some kind of... Uh, it's a language. It's a language. In, intelligence, conscious experience. Uh, it's all a language. And so one part of the brain gets information that looks a certain way and learns how to speak that language. Another part of the brain gets information that looks a different way and learns how to speak that language. And then what do we have to do in the middle? Well, they got to connect to each other. They got to connect uh, through intermediary neurons, cortical columns. And so, the entire structure of the brain becomes this undulating language that, from place to place, modifies very slightly, uh, in most cases. And then there are these hard region areas where it gets modified a lot. And uh, that, that's why we can divide it up into regions, which means when you go to a, uh, a class that says, okay, well, what is the brain? We can divide the neocortex, is pretty much all I've been talking about here. We can divide the neocortex up into regions, and we can have a, an anatomy class that actually talks about this one organ of the brain, the neocortex, as separate regions, as separate uh, functions, as, as separate uh, parts. Pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. What does that stand in relation to? I think it stands into, in relation to the society of minds idea. Now this idea is... Uh, I first heard about it from Ben Gertzel. By the way, if you want to know anything more about what I've been talking about, just look up On Intelligence by Jeff Hawkins and go through his stuff. It's great. Uh, but this stands in relation to the Society of Minds, which is the idea that you... What am I saying? It's the idea... Ah, that's what it is. Ben, I'll tell you. Ben Gertzel made this thing called SingularityNet. Okay, it's blockchain, it's, you know, whatever. And so his grand vision is, okay, well, we want to make intelligences. We want to give intelligences a framework whereby they can talk to each other. Remember how I said um, blockchains are all about a protocol? That's what they are. They're carving out a space in protocol space. And they're saying, okay, we're going to talk about this. This is what we're going to be good at talking about. That's what blockchains are. So Ben was like, okay, well, here's what we want to do. Carve out a space that says we're going to talk about how artificial intelligences should talk to each other in order to contract and 
combine themselves together so that they can do more than any one of them can do alone. Pretty cool. Pretty cool idea. And that's the simple idea of a society of minds. It's an idea that says, okay, all right, we might all be really different. But if we can all speak the same language, we can all work together to produce intelligent behavior. And uh, that's what intelligence is. And there you go. We're done. That's, that's the society of minds definition of intelligence. It says, we don't have to know how each other is structured. We don't have to know. We could be totally different. We just have to speak the same language. And this is, uh, you know, this is what computers do. You know, we have lots of languages, but we can get them to speak together. Um... And the society of minds is at play in the brain because every mini column uh, is structured a little bit differently than the one right next to it. And the one right next to it doesn't have to build a model of how it's structured in order to talk to it. So the society of minds is technically at play. Um, I think the observation of the framework is to say that, well, it's just easier if you start with the same thing and then uh, modify that a little bit. And then you naturally, you naturally, this is why it's easier. It's because you naturally get uh, a translation between the two as you're modifying it just slightly. You produce, you end up with a structure that speaks uh, a language with itself. Because it's not just one language. Every node has a different view on what the language is, but it's only slightly, they all overlap. They all have lots of overlap. And so, um, was that it? Is that all I had to say about that? Yeah. I'm not on the freeway anymore, so I can stop yelling. Jeez, that's one thing I've always wanted in a car. In fact, that's basically the only thing I have always wanted in a vehicle that I don't have, that I've never had, (laughs) was a massive reduction of freeway noise. I mean, it'd be cool if cars drive themselves. That's cool, you know? I mean, I I want that, sure. But, you know, there are car people that are, like, all into it, and, you know, they deck them out, they have all these other things they care about. You know, zero to 60, you know, gas mileage, safety, all this other stuff, right? You can walk from a car. I don't care about any of it. I don't give a shit. Here's what I care about. Make it quiet, okay? And of course, okay, first of all, it's got to be baseline good. I don't, I don't want it to be a crappy car. So baseline, it's got to drive somewhere, all right? 
Alright. Man, the moon looks really good tonight. Well, this morning it's moon. Uh, and I want it to be quiet inside. Okay. Uh, and then, once we achieve that, uh, yeah, make it drive itself. That's great. You know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't care about anything else. You know? Typical, um, typical everything is fine with me. Except, I want it to be quiet. <laughs> That's my, that's my view of what luxury is. <laughs> be silent. It's kind of ironic because I am going out of my way to not be silent. I talk. All right, just a sec. All right, well. Okay, yeah. What was I saying? Saying something important about the language of the brain. Yeah, it's an undulating language. Just like we as humans on Earth have an undulating language. Like we all say, okay, I speak English. Yeah, okay, I speak English. Yes. Alright. But I have a different vocabulary than my wife. Uh, or the people I work with. Or, you know, the people closest to me. Um, why? I have a different life experience. That's why. Uh, I, have a diff I have a slightly different uh, brain structure, you know, due to DNA. And a slightly um, different evolved brain structure. Uh, evolved in my lifetime due to my life experience. And so I have a different verbal language than anybody else on the planet. I, I speak differently than everybody, any anyone, even the ones very close to me. Um, but it overlaps, right? It's mostly the same as my wife's and you, if you can understand me. It's mostly the same as every English speaker, you know, but, but it's more like the people that live where I live than the people that live in England or something. So we have this, and, and then we have some boundaries that are like pretty tight. It's like, okay, I do not speak Portuguese, you know. But we do have some overlap. There's some words I might recognize as, oh, that probably means something like this. That probably is related to this topic. Because, um, because Latin, right? I mean, because Latin. But, and then there's something really different than what I speak, like Chinese. No. So, um, well, I guess that's it. That's the analogy I wanted to make. Is that the brain does this too. And that all intelligent structures do this with language. This is, this is what language really is. Now, 
as a computer programmer or whatever, I work with languages. But when I started learning how to program, I got this book, Programming for Dummies, in like the seventh grade or something like that. Um, <clears throat> when I read that book, <laughs> I only read the first half, too. <laughs> I was like, hey, this is boring. <laughs> this isn't worth it. And then I became a programmer, eventually. So. Uh, <clears throat> um, sorry. When I first read the book, you know, on the, the first page or whatever, they say, okay, you're going to be learning a language. I was like, no, 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 that's stupid. I'm not learning a language. I'm learning a protocol. <laughs> that was my response, my natural response. I was like, no, no, it's not a language. It's a protocol. It's very specific. It's exact. I have to know exactly what to say. There's no interpretation. To me, a language was loosey-goosey. It was fuzzy. It was interpreted. It was interpreted. Someone else was going to interpret the language and apply meaning, their own meaning. Now, as I, you know, kind of have grown up, I've been like, oh, yeah, I guess we could call it a language because we literally do have something called an interpreter that reads what I write and translates it into machine code. So eventually I was like, okay, fine. Let's call it a language. But you can call anything a language if you want to go, you know, if you want to do that. <laughs> DNA is a language, you know. If, if you're... I really thought you should call it a protocol. <laughs> you got to make a distinction somewhere, don't you? You got to say, oh, now this is a, this is a protocol because it has these properties. This is a language. We're going to use our natural colloquial term language because it's fuzzy, because it is more like the languages we speak. You know. Now, nowadays, I've gone the other way. I just use language for everything. I use that term all the time. Language, language, language. Because everything's a language. I'm talking to somebody about uh, um, I don't know anything like the structure of consciousness, and I'll say, "Well, it's it's a language." <laughs> what does that mean? You know, I, I'm now making that same mistake where I'm just way too general, but it it means because I'm just pointing to the fact that it has that its main purpose. Is that it has the same properties as language. That, that's, you know, I, I guess I, I guess I'm taking that tack of starting with, okay, well, in general, it's this. There we go. Sorry, I'm off on a tangent. What was I trying to say? Well. I was trying to say, uh, I was trying to talk about the intelligence framework, you know, as I understand it, you know, I, as I've been trying to piece it together and it has all these elements I've mentioned, uh, and it has one more big element 
one more huge element. This is a, this is probably the main thing, really. And uh, that is that it's preemptive. It's preemptive. Everything we do in computers, not everything, but, you know, in general, is not preemptive. Well, okay. <laughs> Ugh, that's not right. Uh, writing a computer program is, is basically putting things in order before they exist. That's a term from the, the Tao Te Ching, which I love. I love that book. Um, you're, you're saying, okay, this is how the program is going to be used. This is the user. This is what they're going to do. This is how they're going to think. This is what they're going to want to do. Uh, and so I need to write a program that manages the data and talks to the user in a way that is really good, <laughs> that is clear and concise for them and efficient and practical on the management of data side. That's, that's what the programmer is doing. That's his job. That's all he does. And he says, I'm going to put these things in order based upon those two requirements. That's it. And so, yes, it's preemptive in that way. Programming is preemptive. It's making a prediction. But you might say, okay, well, I have this task. I have all this data and I need to extract some valuable information out of it or something like that, right? I have a task, I have a, something I gotta figure out, maybe. And then you figure it out and then you write the program and then the program runs and everything's good, right? Okay. The brain is not that way. I mean, it's probably that way on the macro scales where we can use explicit language like I'm doing and we can figure things out or whatever. But on the deepest layer, on that, uh, um, repeating circuit layer, you know, the, the layer that we would call the framework. It's not that way. It's definitely not that way. Everything it does, everything it does, it only does so that it can predict the future. That's it. That's what it's doing all the time, everywhere. It's trying to predict the future. It's getting in data, like I, you know, kind of mentioned, it gets data from the ear. It's going to, at every nanosecond, try to predict the future of what will land on the ear and make its way to the brain. That's what it's doing. That's what, everywhere, all over, all the time. This was a realization that uh, Jeff Hawkins had in, in his book on intelligence that was like, oh my God, that's so obvious. I can't believe I hadn't really explicitly thought that before in my whole life. 
but that is what it's doing. You walk into a room, oh no, how about this? You see someone's face. You don't have an eidetic memory, do you? You don't have a, a camera in your brain. It's a fuzzy thing when you try to remember and reconstruct their face from memory. It's fuzzy. It's hard to do. Isn't it? You can kind of get it. You know, you get like flashes of their face and then it's like, oh. But if you try to reconstruct it explicitly, it's not going to come. I had this dream recently. This is probably half a year ago. <clears throat> I was... Uh, I value beauty a lot. And, and so in this dream, I was like on a mountain. I was like on a lookout, like looking out at like a mountain. And I was like, oh man, that thing's beautiful. <laughs> and, and I was on like a, you know, like a, there was like tourists nearby, left and right. And actually, I think just to the left, sorry. Uh, and I was like, man, I'd like to enjoy this mountain all by myself. And I knew I was dreaming. I was lucid. It doesn't happen very often, but it happens to me. And so I was like, I'm going to make those guys go away. And I just, you know, snap my finger and they're gone. Right, basically. And uh, then I got to thinking, I was like, should I do that? Should I? Okay, these characters, is there any part of my brain that's giving them some kind of awareness? Like for real? Or are they just characters, like characters in a book? Is the only thing that they see what I think they see and they don't actually see it at all? Because they're not real. Because all that's happening is what I see. Is that what's going I don't know. And so I wondered that. And I thought, and in general, if I don't like something, should I arbitrarily decide to change it? Or should I have a more principled approach? I was like, I don't know. What kind of principle could I come up with for, for this kind of situation? I don't know. So then I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to worry about it. Here's what I'm going to do instead. I'm going to bring them back. And then I'm going to ask them what they think. Because they can talk. Because they're characters, right? And so I brought them back. And I was like, okay, what should I do? Should I do that? Or, you know, like, you know what I'm thinking. Like, what should I do? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one said something like you see that mountain over there and I was like yeah and he was like you can't make that <laughs> and I got the message I was like oh shit I cannot make that the part of me that's, you know, the decision maker or whatever, you know, that's, that's aware that he's aware is such a small part of the entire brain structure. Let's just put it that way. 
but we could also say, I think it'd be better to say, it's just such a small part of the entire conscious, uh, unconscious, subconscious. There's all these layers that I'm unaware of that are generating this dream world, all of it, all the beauty, everything. And uh, I get to inhabit it for a little while and take a look. And if I said, okay, I'm going to build a mountain, you know, today, I can't do it. I can't do it by myself. I'm the discerner. I, I can't produce anything. At all. Everything's just provided to me. So he's like, I, I, what he was saying was, yeah, I mean, do what you want. Sure. I mean, whatever. But if you take too much control, you're not going to get that kind of beauty because I'm the subconscious and I'm trying to, you know, produce something that's good for you. And if I can't predict what you're going to want, because you're just changing everything all the time, you're like a micromanager. You're like a bad boss. I can't help you. See? That's what he was saying. He says, you know, do what you want, but... Um, <laughs> uh, all things in moderation, I suppose. <laughs> that's what he was saying and I, why did I come up with this why did I talk about this it, was, it had to do with something about the structure of the conscious sitting on top of the subconscious or um, <laughs> I guess I don't know I guess it's gone Oh, boy. Well, maybe I'll come back to it. Uh, way before that, we were talking about the nature of language a little bit. Hmm. Sorry. I don't know. No. I have no idea what I was talking about. Well, okay then. That's probably my cue. Um, to go do something useful. I have more to say. I'm going to go do a little chore here. Um, but I have more to say. I woke up this morning with some interesting thoughts about something. It's way more wishy-washy than this. Did I was talking about prediction, wasn't I? Yeah. I was talking about how you can't generate a face, which reminded me of not being able to generate that beautiful mountain. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the reason that's appropriate is to say um, <clears throat> when you think about a face, think about the face of your mom. 
it's there, right? But it's not a picture. It's not for me. And if I try to make it into a picture, I can't. You know, it's a change. It's like a changing picture. It, where some parts, you know, it's, it's just not there. But you can get flashes of it as a picture in moments, you know. But then if you're like, oh, I want to go look at details of that picture, it's gone. You can't hold it in memory as a picture. I can't. I don't know who can, but, um, but you, you know it, you know it really well. So, uh, okay. Okay. So when you see somebody and It becomes immediately apparent if something is different about them than there was before. And sometimes you don't know what that is because it's, you know, you'll see somebody like, what's different about you? Did you change your hair? You know, whatever. Um, and then they say something you're like, oh, shit, that was obvious. How did I not get that? Well, it's subconscious. right? It's, it's down there. But that's what the subconscious is always doing. That's what the lowest layers of the brain, the smallest layers of the brain, are always doing is trying to predict the future. They're rewiring themselves in order to predict the future. The macro future. You know, and the micro, every layer, every scale. So um, they're trying to predict the future. So that when you see somebody and a prediction is violated, it says, oh, I, I thought you had red hair. You did have red hair. I was expecting red hair. Red hair is probably not good because red-haired people don't usually dye their hair. Was, that's a bad example. <laughs> okay. I thought you had longer hair. There, how about that? Uh, and then... And then your brain says, no, something's wrong. Something's different. Uh, it, a prediction has been violated. It's incorrect. I predicted. I, I knew that I was going to see this person in the next 80 milliseconds. You know, or, you know, the next few seconds. whatever. And I was getting primed. I was getting ready to see them. I was saying, okay, I'm going to see... A face. I'm not going to see an animal. I'm going to see, uh, you know, these features. I'm not going to see those features, right? I was priming the neural circuits to fire that uh, match the observation of your face that I have learned over time. And then the neural circuits fired. And then something said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm getting some conflicting data from the outside world versus what has, you know, what's getting ready to fire or what has fired, maybe, I don't know. Um, what's been predicted about what I'm going to get. And there's a clash. There's, a, there's something you can make a distinction on that says, nope, that wasn't right. I got a binary signal here. This is not correct. And then you can 
pass that up. Pass it up the framework. Pass it up the hierarchy. I mean, the framework, the hierarchy. Pass it up the hierarchy and say, um, this is how it works. So there's a hierarchy in the brain, right? And the, the top level hierarchy says, okay, I'm aware of things in low detail and over a long amount of time, you know, and broadly. I'm aware of very basic trends in low detail over a long period of time. <laughs> What's that called? That's called an executive. Okay. He has no detailed information. I mean, he, you know, executives do, but, but they really don't, you know. They really don't. Because they don't know how to do everybody's job exactly how everybody does it. They don't know the details. Okay. So, um, that's the executive level. That's the top level. And then there's layers and layers and layers that become, that are just like that, but a little less, that do no specific things. And then there's layers and layers. And then all of a sudden you get down to the individual cortical columns or mini columns or whatever. Excuse me, sorry. Even down to the neurons, frankly. But I don't like to go that far because it's... It, it doesn't mean anything once you get down there. So, um, down to the mini columns. And the mini columns say... I have learned what this part of a leaf looks like. <laughs> okay. That's what I know about. I'm really, really good at that. <laughs> uh, great. No, thanks. And so the executives always look down on disdain. They're like, you're such an idiot. You know nothing. <laughs> they know a lot about nothing. Yes, but uh, you need them. You need them. You need them. And the executives know nothing about a lot. And this is the same structure in a company. It's the same structure in any organization that is intelligent. And this hierarchical structure also, you know, it plays out in the government. This is why regulators are idiots. They know a lot, or they, they know very little about a lot of things uh, until you get to like the specific regulators that are regulating that industry. And then they're really good with that industry, but they don't know the nuances that the companies understand, you know, uh, anyway, let's just, you know, it's in every intelligence structure, you have a, this hierarchy. That's part of the framework of intelligence as well, I suppose that I haven't mentioned. Hierarchy is a big deal. Uh, so what, what am I saying? Um, so as far as prediction goes, the highest level, um, things know the context and the lowest level things don't. Okay. So the executive or the, the conscious experience or, you know, whatever, 
the highest level thing, I don't think conscious experience is actually at the executive level in the brain, by the way. I think it's kind of in the middle. And I don't know exactly how to describe it yet, so I'm not going to go down that road, but um, it's it seems strange. It's a very strange thing. It's weird. Okay. So, but the, uh, the executive says, um, or the most macro understandings of the world, which is, you know, what you're immediately aware of. So part of that conscious experience is up there, but, um, they understand the context. They understand the time. They understand what patterns we're in. So they say, look, um, relating this to an executive uh, company situation, they say, look, uh, we're in a recession. So this is how the company needs to behave. Okay. And this is what you should be seeing. Uh, recession type patterns. So they pass down uh, a word, a pattern that says recession or whatever else. Right? Um, and then the company responds, right? Uh, everything, the, the brain responds and primes itself for that environment. Here's another example. Here's a, here's a brain example. I say, Okay, I'm going to walk into the kitchen. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Okay, so I become aware I'm hungry. Everything starts moving. And I am now in the context of walking into the kitchen. I know that's where I'm headed. Right. Okay. So I'm in that context. And so I'm priming the lowest, all the way down to the lowest layers, saying, you're going to see patterns that you associate with kitchen because I've passed that word from on high down to you little tiny things. And so now they're looking for kitchen patterns. They're saying, Oh, okay, well, I'm going to be seeing this and Oh, my neighbors thinks he's going to be seeing that. So I'm going to be seeing this, you know, they're priming themselves. And then you walk into the kitchen and they're able to fire the patterns at the same time that, you know, things enter your visual field or whatever. I don't know. And then you see things and you're never surprised. You're like, okay, great. Unless there's a green elephant in the kitchen. Then you're like, oh, that was unexpected. And the bottom layers say, well, I have seen a green elephant before and we're all in combination uh, understanding that that's what this is. So, uh, that's what we're going to pass up. And so we're going to say, no, you were wrong. Executive level summary. You were wrong. Uh, well, you, you were not wrong. We are maybe in the kitchen, but we do have this unexpected pattern that I'm passing up and you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to fit it in. I don't know how it's going to work for you, but whatever. And then you perceive it. Your brain's like, oh, I get it. And you perceive the elephant. And you're like, okay. But it's all about prediction. We predict it first. All right. 
really see it up this way. <laughs> the frost is still there. Come on, heat. I don't know how all day. Yesterday we talked a little bit about maybe what's missing with intelligence uh, research, I guess. Uh, an overarching framework. And I thought thought I had some more to say about that, and I'm sure I do, but I'll, I'd like to think about something else first. I'm a human, so that means I have a very specific brain structure, a very specific memory structure, I'd rather say. I have a very specific structure in general. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to define it as brain structure or memory. I mean, it is memory. Everything's memory. But anyway, that means um, I think a certain way. And it's not generalized. We like to think that we're these paragons of generalized intelligence, but we're not. We're really not. We uh, are very s specifically situated, you know, because we evolved in a certain environment, and so we're evolved for that environment. We're specific, but we're a lot closer to general intelligence than anything else that we've made or seen. So we we hold ourselves up as the example. But as a specific intelligence, I run in certain loops. I have found observing my own history of thought that I tend to think the same things over and over and over. Which means since I'm recording thoughts, I'm going to record the same ideas, uh, topics, uh, over and over and over. Which is fine. In a loop, though, and maybe it won't be word for word, but it's going to be close. I'm going to return to, well, I, I can at least say this, I'm always going to be returning to the same topics over and over and over again. Sometimes I'll have new new thoughts, new ideas, uh, 
related to an old topic that I'm used to. And sometimes I'll have uh, a new topic. I'm like, wow, I just learned this. This is new. But of course I'm going to have to relate it back to what I already know because that's my point of view. Anyway, I'm going to sound like a broken record. So everything that I'm about to say, ever, is something that you'll hear if you're listening to this long enough. You'll hear it again. Because I'm going to think about it again. And then I'm going to voice it again. That's, you know, just how it goes. All right. I don't know why I wanted to make that explicit. Uh, Maybe that's not quite as true for podcasts that, um, I mean, I think it is really true for most all content. You know, TV shows just hash the same story over again. Uh, Everybody's just running in their own little loop, right? Man, why is this not heating up right? It's just really cold, I guess. Um... Oh yeah, so, anyway, I guess that's it. Now, returning to the topic at hand, which is consciousness. No, it's con- yeah, it's always consciousness. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the overarching umbrella that <laughs> seems to haunt me. But, uh, which is intelligence, which is the structure of awareness... Uh, let, let's go through it. Let's go through it. So, I'm not the first one to say that we're missing a framework. <laughs> not at all. Uh, Vernon uh, Newcastle. New, what is his name? Vernon something. I think it's Newcastle. Wrote an article or a, a paper, a scientific paper, claiming that back in the 60s or 70s, which I've never read. Uh, But yeah, I know about it, and it claimed that back way back then. And so what this Vernon's character suggested uh, is, well, how about we... uh, How about we make the assumption, because we have some data that points to this idea, make the assumption that... We have a whole bunch of small units in our head. Small, structurally, basically identical. Not not identical, but, um, you know, there's very little nuance. Structurally identical um, units of computation. And these uh, are the, uh, well, you'd say, well, oh, you're talking about a neuron. Well, sure. But maybe we can organize those neurons into a specific circuit and then repeat that over and over again in the brain. And that circuit is, uh, if we can find that circuit, then we're good to go. That, that is the framework, that there's a repeating circuit Um, in the brain. Now, 
what is this claim? This claim is, I think, substantial and true. Uh, hold on, just a minute. And the reason I think it's substantial is because uh, it it says something specific. It says that um, this is uh, okay. This is what I'm trying to say. That is a specific claim, as opposed to bring this down a little bit, I think, as opposed to um, what I would like to say is the society of minds claim about how the brain works. You know, if you take a brain class in college 101 or whatever, you know, they're going to talk about brain anatomy, and that's what they're, that's how they're going to start it. And they're going to say, well, this region does this, and this region does this, and this region does this. That's cool, right? And so Vernon is saying, why do those regions do that? What we have is one repeating architecture, you know, with variations, with slight variations. One repeating architecture. But that conforms itself, it modifies itself, it looks a little bit differently, just a little bit differently. It's still in the same overarching framework of the original architecture, you know, the, the, the circuit. But those circuits slightly modify themselves according to the kind of data that they receive. So that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He's saying that region does what it does. It uh, manages audio signals. So it gets really good at understanding uh, the shape of what audio is. What is that? Well, it's very linear. You know, it's, it's got a few other dimensions, pitch and, you know, some other stuff, but it's highly linear in time. It's highly in time, as opposed to the visual scene, which is, uh, you know, it, it, it is moving through time as everything is, but it's highly spatial. It's a 2D view, right? Or you could could say 3D because it's two eyes, but whatever. Um, it's a two. It's a 2D view. It's spatial. Uh, so it, you know that kind of data is very different than audio data from an ear. And so the audio data comes in. It has to attach to the brain somewhere. And so it attaches to the brain, and the part of it that attaches to the brain uh, learns to become pretty good. You know, the, that part of the brain learns to become pretty good at some specific types of reasoning because 
it has modified its circuits to recognize patterns in that data. In that kind of data. Okay. All right. That's that's the idea. So, Vernon's, you know, on way ahead of, way way ahead of his time figuring that out. Uh Okay, I, I, what else am I trying to say? Um, I suppose my observation from last night that um, everything in the brain from the micro to the macro seems to look like an autoencoder is to say that each one of those units of computation, each one of those, they're actually cortical columns. They actually kind of are learning what that circuit is and it's held in a cortical column um, or, or I should say a mini column really no no it's a cortical column yeah I don't know I'm just, I don't know the, I don't know I haven't read it the research I don't know I've just heard these terms in passing so anyway uh, it's one of those well, it's probably both, okay? Because these uh, these smallest units of neurons are arranged in a in a macro unit, in a, uh, a micro unit, and then those micro units are arranged in a macro unit. We'll say cortical column, and those cortical columns are all doing the same thing, and they all look the same, and they all, but they're slightly modified because the things below them are slightly modified because the neurons are slightly modified. Highly modified. They still only do the things that the neurons do, but they connect to very, very disparate locations. Uh, okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. So this pattern goes all the way up. And so uh, recognizing that that cortical unit on every level but especially the smallest level well I should say especially the largest level because it actually as they aggregate it actually uh, probably amplifies a little bit so is a is a compression algorithm or we could think of it as the as a little miniature tiny running in parallel um, autoencoder. That's essentially what it, the, one of the main things it's doing is connecting two, or actually connecting many areas of the brain, but we can think of it as two, uh, and running translation on those two areas of the brain which means it condenses information from one side and sends it over to the other and says, well, this is what he basically means. And then it condenses information from the other side and sends it back and says, well, this is what they basically mean. 
It's a, it's an autoencoder. It's a compression algorithm. This is because the whole brain has to have some kind of. Uh, it's a language. It's a language. In, intelligence, conscious experience. Uh, it's all a language. And so one part of the brain gets information that looks a certain way and learns how to speak that language. Another part of the brain gets information that looks a different way and learns how to speak that language. And then what do we have to do in the middle? Well, they got to connect to each other. They got to connect uh, through intermediary neurons, cortical columns. And so, the entire structure of the brain becomes this undulating language that, from place to place, modifies very slightly uh, in most cases. And then there are these hard region areas where it gets modified a lot. And uh, that, that's why we can divide it up into regions, which means when you go to a, uh, a class that says, okay, well, what is the brain? We can divide the neocortex, is pretty much all I've been talking about here. We can divide the neocortex up into regions, and we can have a, an anatomy class that actually talks about this one organ of the brain, the neocortex, as separate regions, as separate uh, functions, as, as separate uh, parts. Pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. What does that stand in relation to? I think it stands into, in relation to the society of minds idea. Now, this idea is... Uh, I first heard about it from Ben Gertzel. By the way, if you want to know anything more about what I've been talking about, just look up On Intelligence by Jeff Hawkins and go through his stuff. It's great. Uh, but this stands in relation to the Society of Minds, which is the idea that you... What am I saying? It's the idea... Ah, that's what it is. Ben, I'll tell you. Ben Gertzel made this thing called SingularityNet. Okay, it's blockchain, it's, you know, whatever. And so his grand vision is, okay, well, we want to make intelligences. We want to give intelligences a framework whereby they can talk to each other. Remember how I said um, blockchains are all about a protocol? That's what they are. They're carving out a space in protocol space. And they're saying, okay, we're going to talk about this. This is what we're going to be good at talking about. That's what blockchains are. So Ben was like, okay, well, here's what we want to do. Carve out a space that says we're going to talk about how artificial intelligences should talk to each other in order to contract and uh, combine themselves together so that they can do more than any one of them can do alone. 
Pretty cool. Pretty cool idea. And that's the simple idea of a society of minds. It's an idea that says, okay, all right, we might all be really different. But if we can all speak the same language, we can all work together to produce intelligent behavior and uh, that's what intelligence is and there you go we're done that's that's the society of minds definition of intelligence it says we don't have to know how each other is structured we don't have to know we could be totally different we just have to speak the same language and this is, uh, you know, this is what computers do. You know, we have lots of languages, but we can get them to speak together. Um, and the society of minds is at play in the brain. Because every mini-column uh, is structured a little bit differently than the one right next to it. And the one right next to it doesn't have to build a model of how it's structured in order to talk to it. So, the Society of Minds is technically at play. Um, I, I think the observation of the framework is to say that, well, it, it's just easier if you start with the same thing and then uh, modify that a little bit. And then you naturally, you naturally, this is why it's easier. It's because you naturally get uh, a translation between the two as you're modifying it just slightly. You produce, you end up with a structure that speaks uh, a language with itself. Because it's not just one language. Every node has a different view on what the language is, but it's only slightly... They all overlap. They all have lots of overlap. And so... Um, was that it? Was that all I had to say about that? Yeah. I'm not on the freeway anymore, so I can stop yelling. Jeez, that's one thing I've always wanted in a car. In fact, that's basically the only thing I have always wanted in a vehicle that I don't have, that I've never had, <laughs> was a massive reduction of freeway noise. I mean, it'd be cool if cars drive themselves. That's cool, you know? I mean, I, I want that, sure. But, you know, there are car people that are, like, all into it, and, you know, they deck them out, they have all these other things they care about. You know, zero to 60, you know, gas mileage, safety, all this other stuff, right? You can walk from a car. I don't care about any of it. I don't give a shit. Here's what I care about. Make it quiet, okay? And of course, okay, first of all, it's got to be baseline good. I don't, I don't want it to be a crappy car. So baseline. It's got to drive somewhere, all right? All right, man, the moon looks really good tonight. Oh, this morning, this morning. Uh, 
and I want it to be quiet inside. Okay. Uh, and then, once we achieve that, uh, yeah, make it drive itself. That's great. You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> I don't care about anything else. You know, typical, um, typical everything is fine with me, except I want it to be quiet. <laughs> That's my, that's my view of what luxury is. <laughs> be silent. It's kind of ironic because I am going out of my way to not be silent. I talk. All right, just a sec. All right, well. Okay, yeah. What was I saying? Saying something important about the language of the brain. Yeah, it's an undulating language. Just like we as humans on Earth have an undulating language. Like we all say, okay, I speak English. Yeah, okay, I speak English. Yes. Right. But I have a different vocabulary than my wife. Uh, or the people I work with. Or, you know, the people closest to me. Um, why? I have a different life experience. That's why. Uh, I, have a diff I have a slightly different uh, brain structure, you know, due to DNA. And a slightly um, different evolved brain structure. Uh, evolved in my lifetime due to my life experience. And so I have a different verbal language than anybody else on the planet. I, I speak differently than everybody, any anyone, even the ones very close to me. Um, but it overlaps, right? It's mostly the same as my wife's and you, if you can understand me. It's mostly the same as every English speaker, you know, but, but it's more like the people that live where I live than the people that live in England or something. So we have this, and, and then we have some boundaries that are like pretty tight. It's like, okay, I do not speak Portuguese, you know. But we do have some overlap. There's some words I might recognize as, oh, that probably means something like this. That probably is related to this topic. Because, um, because Latin, right? I mean, because Latin. But, and then there's something really different than what I speak, like Chinese. Yeah. So, um, I guess that's it. That's the analogy I wanted to make. Is that the brain does this too. And that all intelligent structures do this with language. This is, this is what language really is. Now, as a computer programmer or whatever, 
I work with languages, but when I started learning how to program, I got this book, Programming for Dummies, in like the seventh grade or something like that. Um, <clears throat> when I read that book, <laughs> I only read the first half, too. <laughs> I was like, hey, this is boring. <laughs> this isn't worth it. And then I became a programmer, eventually. So. Um, <clears throat> Um, sorry. When I first read the book, you know, on the, the first page or whatever, they say, okay, you're going to be learning a language. I was like, no, 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 that's stupid. I'm not learning a language. I'm learning a protocol. <laughs> that was my response, my natural response. I was like, no, no, it's not a language. It's a protocol. It's very specific. It's exact. I have to know exactly what to say. There's no interpretation. To me, a language was loosey-goosey. It was fuzzy. It was interpreted. It was interpreted. Someone else was going to interpret the language and apply meaning, their own meaning. Now, as I, you know, kind of have grown up, I've been like, oh, yeah, I guess we could call it a language because we literally do have something called an interpreter that reads what I write and translates it into machine code. So eventually I was like, okay, fine. Let's call it a language. But you can call anything a language if you want to go, you know, if you want to do that. <laughs> DNA is a language, you know. If, if you're... I, I really thought you should call it a protocol. <laughs> you got to make a distinction somewhere, don't you? You got to say, oh, no, this is a this is a protocol because it has these properties. This is a language. We're going to use our natural colloquial term language because it's fuzzy, because it is more like the languages we speak. You know. Now, nowadays, I've gone the other way. I just use language for everything. I use that term all the time. Language, language, language. Because everything's a language. I'm talking to somebody about... Uh, um, I don't know. Anything. Like the structure of consciousness. And I'll say, well, it's, it's a language. <laughs> what does that mean? You know? I'm now making that same mistake where I'm just way too general. But it, it means because I'm just pointing to the fact that it has, that its main purpose is that it has the same properties as language. That, that's, you know, I, I, guess I, I guess I'm taking that tack of starting with, okay, well, in general, it's this. There we go. Sorry. I'm off on a tangent. What was I trying to say? Well, I was trying to say, uh, I was trying to talk about the intelligence framework. You know, as I understand it, you know, I, as I've been trying to piece it together. And it has all these elements I've mentioned. Uh, and it has one more big element. One more huge element. This is, a, this is probably the main thing, really. <laughs> 
And uh, that is that it's preemptive. It's preemptive. Everything we do in computers, not everything, but, you know, in general, is not preemptive. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, that's not right. Uh, writing a computer program is, is basically putting things in order before they exist. That's a term from the, the Tao Te Ching, which I love. I love that book. Um, you're, inter you're saying, okay, this is how the program is going to be used. This is the user. This is what they're going to do. This is how they're going to think. This is what they're going to want to do. Uh, and so I need to write a program that manages the data and talks to the user in a way that is really good, <laughs> that is clear and concise for them and efficient and practical on the management of data side. That's, that's what the programmer is doing. That's his job. That's all he does. And he says, I'm going to put these things in order based upon those two requirements. That's it. And so, yes, it's preemptive in that way. Programming is preemptive. It's making a prediction. But you might say, okay, well, I have this task. I have all this data and I need to extract some valuable information out of it or something like that, right? I have a task. I have a, something I got to figure out, maybe. And then you figure it out. And then you write the program and then the program runs and everything's good, right? Okay. The brain is not that way. I mean, it's probably that way on the macro scales where we can use explicit language like I'm doing and we can figure things out or whatever. But on the deepest layer, on that... Uh, um, repeating circuit layer, you know, the, the layer that we would call the framework. It's not that way. It's definitely not that way. Everything it does, everything it does, it only does so that it can predict the future. That's it. That's what it's doing all the time, everywhere. It's trying to predict the future. It's getting in data, like I you know, kind of mentioned, it gets data from the ear. It's going to, at every nanosecond, try to predict the future of what will land on the ear and make its way to the brain. That's what it's doing. That's what, everywhere, all over, all the time. This was a realization that uh, Jeff Hawkins had in, in his book on intelligence that was like, oh my God, that's so obvious. I can't believe I hadn't really explicitly thought that before in my whole life. But that is what it's doing. You walk into a room. I don't know. How about this? You see someone's face. 
You don't have an eidetic memory, do you? You don't have a, a camera in your brain. It's a fuzzy thing when you try to remember and reconstruct our face from memory. It's fuzzy. It's hard to do. Isn't it? You can kind of get it. You know, you get like flashes of their face and then it's like, oh. But if you try to reconstruct it explicitly, it's not going to come. I had this dream recently. This is probably half a year ago. <clears throat> I was... Uh, I value beauty a lot. And, and so in this dream, I was like on a mountain. I was like on a lookout, like looking out at like a mountain. And I was like, oh man, that thing's beautiful. <laughs> and, and I was on like a, you know, like a, there was like tourists nearby, left and right. And actually, I think just to the left, sorry. Uh, and I was like, man, I'd like to enjoy this mountain all by myself. And I knew I was dreaming. I was lucid. That doesn't happen very often, but it happens to me. And so I was like, I'm going to make those guys go away. And I just, you know, snap my finger and they're gone. Right, basically. And uh, then I got to thinking, I was like, should I do that? Should I? Okay, these characters, is there any part of my brain that's giving them some kind of awareness? Like for real? Or are they just characters, like characters in a book? Is the only thing that they see what I think they see and they don't actually see it at all? Because they're not real. Because all that's happening is what I see. Is that what's going I don't know. So I wondered that. And I thought, and in general, if I don't like something, should I arbitrarily decide to change it? Or should I have a more principled approach? I was like, I don't know. What kind of principle could I come up with for, for this kind of situation? <laughs> I don't know. So then I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to worry about it. Here's what I'm going to do instead. I'm going to bring them back. And then I'm going to ask them what they think. Because they can talk. Because they're characters, right? And so I brought them back. And I was like, okay, what should I do? Should I do that? Or, you know, like, you know what I'm thinking. Like, what should I do? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one said something like you see that mountain over there and I was like yeah and he was like you can't make that <laughs> and I got the message I was like oh shit I cannot make that the part of me that's, you know, the decision maker or whatever, you know, that's, that's aware that he's aware is such a small part of the entire brain structure. Let's just put it that way. But we could also say, I think it'd be better to say, it's just such a small part of the entire conscious, uh, unconscious 
subconscious. There's all these layers that I'm unaware of that are generating this dream world, all of it, all the beauty, everything. And uh, I get to inhabit it for a little while and take a look. And if I said, okay, I'm going to build a mountain, you know, and I, I can't do it. I can't do it by myself. I'm the discerner. I, I can't produce anything. At all. Everything's just provided to me. So he's like, I, I, what he was saying was, yeah, I mean, do what you want. Sure. I mean, whatever. But if you take too much control, you're not going to get that kind of beauty because I'm the subconscious and I'm trying to, you know, produce something that's good for you. And if I can't predict what you're going to want, because you're just changing everything all the time, you're like a micromanager. You're like a bad boss. I can't help you. See? That's what he was saying. He says, you know, do what you want, but... Um, <laughs> uh, all things in moderation, I suppose. <laughs> that's what he was saying and I, why did I come up with it why did I talk about this it, was, it had to do with something about the structure of the conscious sitting on top of the subconscious or um, I guess I don't know I guess it's gone Oh, boy. Well, maybe I'll come back to it. Uh, way before that, we were talking about the nature of language a little bit. Hmm. Sorry. I don't know. No. I have no idea what I was talking about. Well, okay then. That's probably my cue. Um, to go do something useful. I have more to say. I'm going to go do a little chore here. Um, but I have more to say. I woke up this morning with some interesting thoughts about something. It's way more wishy-washy than this. Did I was talking about prediction, wasn't I? Yeah. I was talking about how you can't generate a face, which reminded me of not being able to generate that beautiful mountain. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the reason that's appropriate is to say, um, <clears throat> when you think about a face, think about the face of your mom. It's there, right? But it's not a picture. It's not for me. 
And if I try to make it into a picture, I can't. You know, it's a change. It's like a changing picture. It, where some parts, you know, it's it's just not there. But you can get flashes of it as a picture, in moments, you know. But then, if you're like, oh, I want to go look at details of that picture, it's gone. You can't hold it in memory as a picture. I can't. I don't know who can, but um, but you you know it. You know it really well. So, uh, okay. Okay, so when you see somebody and it becomes immediately apparent if something is different about them than there was before. And sometimes you don't know what that is because it's, you know, you'll see somebody like, what's different about you? Did you change your hair? You know, whatever. Um, and then they say something you're like, oh, shit, that was obvious. How did I not get that? Well, it's subconscious. Right? It's, it's down there. But that's what the subconscious is always doing. That's what the lowest layers of the brain, the smallest layers of the brain, are always doing is trying to predict the future. They're rewiring themselves in order to predict the future. The macro future. You know, and the micro. Every layer. Every scale. So, um, they're trying to predict the future. So that when you see somebody and a prediction is violated, it says, oh, I, I thought you had red hair. You did have red hair. I was expecting red hair. Red hair is probably not good because red-haired people don't usually dye their hair. Was, that's a bad example. <laughs> okay. I thought you had longer hair. There, how about that? Uh, and then and then your brain says, no, something's wrong. Something's different. Uh, it, a prediction has been violated. It's incorrect. I predicted. I, I knew that I was going to see this person in the next 80 milliseconds, you know. <laughs> or, you know, the next few seconds, whatever. And I was getting primed. I was getting ready to see them. I was saying, okay, I'm going to see a face. I'm not going to see an animal. I'm going to see, uh, you know, these features. I'm not going to see those features, right? I was priming the neural circuits to fire that... Uh, match the observation of your face that I have learned over time. And then the neural circuits fired and then something said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm getting some conflicting data from the outside world versus what has, you know, what's getting ready to fire or what has fired, maybe, I don't know. Um, what's been predicted about what I'm going to get. And there's a clash. There's a there's something you can make a distinction on that says, nope, that wasn't right. I got a binary signal here. This is not correct. And then you can uh, pass that up. Pass it up the framework. 
Pat, pass it up the hierarchy. I mean, the framework, the hierarchy. Pass it up the hierarchy and say, um, this is how it works. So there's a hierarchy in the brain, right? And the, the top level hierarchy says, okay, I'm aware of things uh, in low detail and over a long amount of time, you know, and, and broadly. I'm aware of very basic trends in low detail over a long period of time. <laughs> What's that called? That's called an executive. Okay. He has no detailed information. I mean, he, you know, executives do, but, but they really don't, you know. They really don't. Because they don't know how to do everybody's job exactly how everybody does it. They don't know the details. Okay. So, um, that's the executive level. That's the top level. And then there's layers and layers and layers that become, that are just like that, but a little less, that do know specific things. And then there's layers and layers. And then all of a sudden you get down to the individual cortical columns or mini columns or whatever. Excuse me, sorry. Even down to the neurons, frankly. But I don't like to go that far because it's... It, it doesn't mean anything once you get down there. So, um, down to the mini columns, and the mini columns say, I have learned what this part of a leaf looks like. <laughs> okay? That's what I know about. I'm really, really good at that. <laughs> uh, great. No, thanks. And so the executives always look down on disdain. They're like, you're such an idiot. You know nothing. <laughs> they know a lot about nothing. Yes. But uh, you need them. You need them. You need them. And the executives know nothing about a lot. And this is the same structure in a company. It's the same structure in any organization that is intelligent. And this hierarchical structure also, you know, it plays out in the government. This is why regulators are idiots. They know a lot. Or they, they know very little about a lot of things. Uh, until you get to like the specific regulators that are regulating that industry. And then they're really good with that industry, but they don't know the nuances that the companies understand, you know, uh, anyway, let's just, you know, it's in every intelligence structure, you have a, this hierarchy. That's part of the framework of intelligence as well, I suppose, that I haven't mentioned. Hierarchy is a big deal. Uh, so, what, what am I saying? Um, so, as far as prediction goes, the highest level um, things know the context and the lowest level things don't. Okay. So the executive or the, the conscious experience or, you know, whatever, the highest level thing, I don't think conscious experience is actually at the executive level in the brain. 
by the way. I think it's kind of in the middle. And I don't know exactly how to describe it yet, so I'm not going to go down that road, but um, it's it seems strange. It's a very strange thing. It's weird. Okay. So, but the, uh, the executive says, um, or the most macro understandings of the world, which is, you know, what you're immediately aware of. So part of that conscious experience is up there, but, um, they understand the context. They understand the time. They understand what patterns we're in. So they say, look, um, relating this to an executive uh, company situation, they say, look, uh, we're in a recession. So this is how the company needs to behave. Okay. And this is what you should be seeing. Uh, recession type patterns. So they pass down uh, a word, a pattern that says recession or whatever else. Right? Um, and then the company responds, right? Uh, everything, the, the brain responds and primes itself for that environment. Here's another example. Here's a, here's a brain example. I say, Okay, I'm going to walk into the kitchen. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Okay, so I become aware I'm hungry. Everything starts moving. And I am now in the context of walking into the kitchen. I know that's where I'm headed. Right? Okay. So I'm in that context. And so I'm priming the lowest, all the way down to the lowest layers, saying, you're going to see patterns that you associate with kitchen because I've passed that word from on high down to you little tiny things and so now they're looking for kitchen patterns they're saying oh okay well I'm going to be seeing this and oh my neighbors thinks he's going to be seeing that so I'm going to be seeing this you know they're priming themselves and then you walk into the kitchen and they're able to fire the patterns at the same time that, you know, things enter your visual field or whatever. I don't know. And then you see things and you're never surprised. You're like, okay, great. Unless there's a green elephant in the kitchen. Then you're like, oh, that was unexpected. And the bottom layers say, well, I have seen a green elephant before and we're all in combination uh, understanding that that's what this is. So uh, that's what we're going to pass up. And so we're going to say, no, you were wrong. Executive level summary. You were wrong. Uh, well, you, you were not wrong. We are maybe in the kitchen, but we do have this unexpected pattern that I'm passing up and you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to fit it in. I don't know how it's going to work for you, but whatever. And then you perceive it. Your brain's like, oh, I get it. And you perceive the elephant. You're like, okay. But it's all about prediction. We predict it first. So anyway, that's the... That's my understanding of 
Um, of uh, how intelligence works uh, on the most basic Terminology, I suppose. I don't know. The most basic framework for intelligence, how it works. Well, it's definitely a hierarchy. Now, it's not all a hierarchy, but it definitely involves hierarchy hugely. And uh, it is always predictive. Um, and it's compressing all the information all the time and uh, it's an undulating language undulating is not the right word because that means moving back and forth and stuff Uh, that's not what I'm trying to what I'm trying to describe I'm trying to take from that term the fact that it's um, only slightly modified from node to node, uh, which by that I mean it's fluid, or um, probably better uh, well, yeah, that's basically it. That, that, that it's a lot of language. The language is a lot of languages that overlap. And they don't have to overlap the entire structure, too. They can just, you know, anyway. Like, I don't speak Chinese, you know. It doesn't have to overlap the whole world. But it has to overlap with other English speakers, some of which kind of speak Chinese, right? You know, so. Um, all right, I, I guess that, you know, that's about it. On the compression note, that is really obvious that the brain is doing that everywhere. And, you know, I've heard people say that the brain is doing compression or that that's a major component in AI or, you know, stuff like that. But I haven't really ever heard anybody tie it to observation about the brain structure. Like in passing, I'm not like a neurologist. But um, but it's so obviously there that I'm really, I don't understand why I haven't heard that. I've heard these other things. You know, but I haven't heard that. And, and the most obvious place that it is is in the corpus callosum, which is the center of the brain, which is all the fibers running from the right side to the left side or from the left side to the right side. It's how the two hemispheres talk to each other. But there's far fewer neurons or uh, axons, I should say. There's far fewer axons going uh, in the middle, right, that, that make the jump from one side of the brain to the other 
than there are neurons in either side. So it has to be doing compression for the two sides to communicate with each other. It's compressing all the data down from one side and sending it over, especially when you realize that these axons are one way. They're not two way. They can't be used. So only half of those axons are being used to transfer data. Um, from one side to the other. That's amazing. That's amazing. And yet you have a coherent view. And like I said, it's it's like, you know, you got lots of neurons on your eye, in your fovea or whatever. You got lots of receptors. And then you have some neurons connected to those receptors, lots of them. And then you have, uh, what am I trying to say? Oh, I don't have time to be going this route. This is a scenic route, but I don't have time for that. I gotta go this way. and then it condenses down to the point, you know, I think there's some ganglia or, you know, whatever else between the eye and the brain, but at some point it condenses down. I would assume there's two major ganglias. I don't know if this is true at all, but I would assume there's two. <clears throat> Sorry. One on near the eye and one near the brain. And in between, there's the con- compression, the condensing down to um, whatever. That's what I would assume. I don't know if that's true, but that's my prediction. Um, what was I saying? Oh, right, so, so you have that same structure of uh, compression between the eye and the brain. Lots of receptors on the eye. Lots of connections into the brain. Very few neurons in the middle. Very few. 40. 40. You gotta see the world that you see through 40 bits. Come on. Well, it's not impossible. We do it. It's amazing. It's amazing. That amazes me. And I'm not, you know, some information theoretic <laughs> genius or something. Like, I, I, I don't even know enough that I should be amazed, but I'm still amazed. <laughs> I'm just, it's just shocking to me. Because, I, I, you know, I have a feel for these things as a programmer. So I have a feel for, wow... You know, I don't know the math behind compressing down to 40 bits and what that has got to take, uh, but I kind of get a feel for how hard that would be to program, so 
I'm amazed. I'm shocked. I'm, I'm amazed. Anyway, but this is how this is happening everywhere. This is happening everywhere in the brain. This kind of uh, bow tie shape is everywhere. bow tie shape alright well auto auto encoder shape I guess that's it I guess I'm done actually I have more to say but I'm going to take it easy for a second kind of gather my thoughts I think for a little while now, like I said, this is a topic. Intelligence is one of those topics that I will come back to over and over and over again, and try to refine my model, refine my model, refine it, improve it, find nuances, think about it a different way. I'm always going to be returning to this engineering problem of what intelligence is. So that's that's one of the things I always come back to. Another thing that I always come back to is something I've discussed here a lot, which is probably what I'm going to talk about a little bit later, So I was thinking about this morning, um, and, that, and that is the conscious experience. And that's not as much an engineering uh, issue as it is an esoteric issue or... Um, a metaphysic issue. Metaphysics is kind of in the engineering room, but but also, you know, it's a spiritual issue, is what it is. Um, I seem to just bounce between those two things. <laughs> Mostly, I talk about a lot of things. I think about a lot of things, but. But I spend a lot of time revolving those two stars. I think that's okay. Anyway.